Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in European Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Tim Jones, and this is the second of three interviews with authors of new books in English about Hungary's 10-year evolution away from liberal democracy under Prime Minister Viktor Orban. My discussion with Gabel Schering about his retreat of liberal democracy was released on the European Studies channel on January the 14th, and my interview with Lesser Skut about his Orban land will be out in March. But today it's the turn of Andras Kurosheni, the author together with Gabor Iash and Attila July of The Orban Regime, Plebiscitary Leader Democracy in the Making, published in 2020 by Routledge. Andras is a senior research fellow at the Center for Social Sciences and professor of political science at Corvinus University in Budapest. He is the author of 14 books, five in English, and has also been a research fellow in Vienna, Heidelberg, Harvard, Leiden and Oxford. Andras, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for the invitation. At the core of your book is an argument that Viktor Orban and his regime fit nicely into a leadership model set out by Max Weber more than 100 years ago. And this is something he called plebiscitary leader democracy, or we'll call it PLD from now on. In fact, you write that um, early on, you you say, uh, quote, the Orban regime has turned out to be a natural laboratory for studying PLD. Can you explain the features of PLD and why it beats other frameworks in describing this regime? Uh, Well, yes, I um, I try to do this. But I think probably the major or crucial trait of PLD is a different relation between political leaders and, and followers, leaders and citizens. And the 20th century democracies, while in, by and large we may call them party democracies or re- representative democracies, parliamentary democracies, where there was an, an important filter between citizens and, and leaders and institutions between citizens and leaders and our whole imagination about democracy that is a kind of bottom-up process and uh, political parties and uh, parliaments uh, had a crucial role in this bottom-up process throughout the 20th century and the parties connected citizens uh, and the state and, and, and government and uh, that was a kind of intermediation, a filter, one hand a filter, and another hand, political parties uh, uh, represented the demands of the of certain social groups and then the society as a whole. And the uh, first, first major trait of plebiscitary leader democracy is a direct link between political leaders and citizens. And this, this direct that, that, that is some a consequence of various uh, parallel trends which uh, were taken place in, in democracies from the last two decades of the 20th century and, and uh, by the third of the millennium it, it became clear and there was some literature on that and it, this process includes the, the fall of the decline of political parties, parliaments, uh, uh, end of strong party loyalty and stability of the party system, 
so the, the process of dealignment, more volatile electoral behavior of citizens, and and this this process uh, produced a kind of personalization of politics. At the beginning of, of this century, there was a a concept in, in political science called presidentialization of Euro- democracies, and that was meant that that uh, the European parliamentary democracies became so personalized like the American presidential system that the political leaders became uh, the center figure of political uh, electoral campaigns uh, unlike in the previous century where they were the political parties and the party manifestos and uh, political leaders, the incumbent leaders emerge as a, a stronger figure within the executive power and, and also they preside their political party so that that uh, previously parties had leaders but it was told by the literature that that uh, by now uh, political leaders uh, have parties and so that's this whole process the sense of personalization the emergence of charismatic politicians and to a large extent, uh, or to some extent, it is a general phenomenon. And uh, uh, and this kind of, there are the literature says, for example, Jeffrey Green's uh, book uh, from 2010, The Eyes of the People, that there's a plebiscitary era, plebiscitary uh, era in, in democracy, which means uh, citizens became just an audience of what's going on on the political stage, what leaders uh, perform, uh, do, and, and their, uh, watch their struggle, and then they either applaud them or reject them. And so that's a, that's a kind of yes or vote, no. So that's why it is a plebiscitary type of uh, relationship. Uh, and so this is one part of the story. And there is another part that is more well, local, I mean, Hungarian, or how, and, and uh, the problem of uh, de-democratization or, or uh, democratic backslide and the major, appro- major approach of the literature, how to, uh, how to grasp, how to analyze uh, this process. And the major, the, the mainstream of the literature is this, but we, called the hybrid regime, use the hybrid regime approach. And uh, uh, we were, well, the hybrid regime approach, which regards liberal democracy as a kind of ideal politics and among political regimes, and uh, the hybrid regime approach compare any regime to an ideal of liberal democracy. And the focus of this approach to find out the difference the traits, the deviations from the liberal democratic ideal, and it is, it is a sort of uh, a theological approach which set up a unique, unidimensional scale and uh, situate all regimes on this scale from the one end where the liberal democracies are and the other end where closed authoritarian regimes or dictatorships. And, and the hybrid regimes are uh, between the ideal types and, and, and in, in the 
this is a gray zone, but it is a quite large, this gray zone is so wide and so large that uh, sometimes the differences among these uh, gray zone regimes are more uh, or, 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 or larger than the difference to liberal democracy or to authoritarian regimes. And so this is a, a useful approach if we are looking for the difference from liberal democracy and, and uh, this literature characterize why, well, Orbán's Hungary or, or, or uh, other regimes, how it is, what is the difference to a liberal democratic ideal, and, uh, but it is a kind of negative characterization so that uh, it's, uh, it's a list that uh, the rule of law is uh, violated, the elections are well free but not fair, and, and things like that is a kind of negative characterization. So we uh, know much about to which extent it is not liberal democracy, but we know much less about how this kind of regimes and how Orbán's Hungary really look like and really works. What is its own modus operandi, what is different from liberal democracy, but the hybrid regime approach doesn't say what is this logic. So we were dissatisfied with this mainstream literature, and that's why Sorry, it was a little bit long. Uh, that's that's why we uh, try to find a different framework to, but and and we found Max Weber's conceptual framework useful to understand and to describe and analyze a certain type of regimes in this green zone and and the Hungarian uh, Orbán the Orbán regime. Yeah, b- before I started reading the book, I was. Um skeptical really about the title that the, the, this idea of the plebiscitary leader model I'm, i mean i think he's i think he's only called well he's only called one referendum i think while he's been prime minister and he was instrumental in calling another when he was in opposition but you you explain the thinking behind this um the idea of of elections themselves uh, having a plebiscitary nature, um, and you say, for example, um, quote, elections are regarded as an authorization to embody the will of the people, and and s- several of the elections, for example, the one in twenty fourteen, um, there was no manifesto. I mean, similar to to the uh, to the Republican um, election campaign in the United States this year. Uh, sorry, last year. Um, and really, the campaign was simply on on a slogan of "We continue," and that the election campaigns are basically marked by huge posters of of the prime minister, and then Fidesz, that his his party is only brought into the into the campaign at, at the last minute. Um, so it, it it did make a lot more a lot more sense in that respect. We we claimed in the book that uh, elections uh, became and the representation became this type of plebiscitary representation and plebiscitary type of election approval or rejection of a leader so this is this way it became a yes or no uh, elections but uh, but it is not just referendums but really only one referendum and uh, Actually, the Orban regime and the, the the newly the new constitution of Hungary uh, 
accepted in the 2011 uh, under the Orban regime is uh, weakened, actually weakened the institutional referendum comparing to the previous constitution. So that so that was there was a shift away from uh, referendum uh, where citizens uh, and and associations had a chance to initiate the referendum to carry to push through a certain initiative uh, for a national uh, referendum and then the uh, direct decision by the people so that it actually it it, it was it was vacant and so that uh, Referendum, but it was used uh, only only once, and and it is a it had a plebiscitary nature. Plebiscitarism also means that uh, uh, the the issue is is uh, provided and and given for for uh, the referendum or for citizens' choice by the executive or by the uh, by the ruler, by the uh, by the government or by the legislator, so that. Uh, and this also uh, highlights that kind of nature that uh, politics is uh, very much formed and shaped by political leaders uh, and uh, uh, citizens are only passive audience of this uh, uh, performance and, and they, may they may approve it or, or reject it, and, and the citizen's choice this way became a kind of uh, legitimacy, uh, legitimacy uh, measure, and uh, that's also um, instead of referendums, but but uh, instead of uh, in the Obama regime there was a special kind of. Uh, uh, that the, I, I would say informal referendum was introduced, that is the so-called national consultations, where the government, uh, like the referendum, the government uh, uh, asks questions, send uh, these questions to citizens through postal service, and the citizens may uh, reply, filling out a questionnaire uh, about a potential uh, government uh, policy about uh, well, social welfare program or, or uh, reduction of, of utility prices or migration uh, or economic policy or family policy. And so that, that is a, a means of the government, means of the regime to gain legitimacy, to, to gain approval of the people. And uh, this, this is one aspect by elections and, and well, this is not a formal referendum and that it makes even more uh, well strange measure and and, and uh, uh, it, it, but it makes it even more characteristic that it is a kind of authoritarian measure to gain legitimacy but on the other hand also a kind of uh, well mobilization uh, of the citizens behind the Policy. Do you think? Um, do you think his the scale of his victory in 2010 was crucial to the development of this regime? I mean, 
there was this leaked speech from the uh, former Prime Minister, um, Ferenc Georgian, that really undermined the legitimacy of the previous government and meant that uh, Orban in Fidesz was able to win this two-thirds majority, which has enabled him to carry out what you call almost constant constitution making. Without that, he wouldn't have been able to. So do you think that that victory in 2010, if, if he had just won by two seats, we would have a very different Orban regime today? I think so, yes. Yes, that was... Uh, well, it, 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 even, it is clear why it is so, that, that technically uh, a two-mandate majority uh, would have not been enough for constitutional changes and uh, changes of uh, many... Uh, so-called uh, two-third legislation, so that where where uh, uh, qualitative majority is necessary, two-third necessary, two-third majority is necessary for legislation. There were in, even in the previous constitution many uh, even policy issues, not just institutional and regulatory issues. The policy issues uh, belong to this category, and this uh, the landslide. So the landslide victory provided uh, a constitutional uh, constitutional majority for for Orbán, and through a very disciplined political parliamentary group of the Fidesz, it 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 worked uh, automatically. Uh, so the decision or or will of the leader was made it was automatically. Uh, executed by by a very disciplined parliamentary group. Well, very usually that was the government, but also not the government, but there were private member bills, uh, especially between 2010 and 2014. Many initiatives of Orban and the Fidesz uh, was introduced to the parliament uh, by private member bills. And this, this way, they were able to avoid uh, certain constraints in the uh, procedure, in the, in the debate of the uh, of the bill, and and made it more efficient and and uh, swept away the opposition uh, this way. So that okay. So first uh, the this two third majority, and secondly that maybe even more important that the landslide victory. Uh, Provided a, a, a very strong legitimacy for Orbán's uh, uh, ambition and and uh, uh, Orbán's regime change, so uh, this legitimacy, the, the legitimacy of the regime change, the legitimacy of the the uh, accomplishment of a new constitution, and 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 uh, that was. Uh, Extended or, or uh, strengthened by a third factor, and that is the political political discourse. That is the political narrative that Orbán used, and uh, through this land, through the landslide victory, the two-third majority, the new constitution, uh, he was able to uh, 
he was able to produce uh, a very very strong division uh, at Cesura uh, from the previous period, from the pre period between 1990 and 2010. And this previous period, what was regarded as uh, the new democratic period of Hungary, became in this narrative uh, a kind of uh, ambiguous, uh, vague, suspicious uh, period uh, where the democratic transition was not uh, carried out completely, uh, where uh, the post-communist politicians and, and the Socialist Party and, and post-communist politicians like Ferenc Gyurcsán in, in 2006 were able to uh, divert the whole development uh, through electoral uh, manipulations, but uh, what was the the bomb, political bomb, in the, when it was leaked in 2006, your chance, your chance speech, in which he admitted that uh, they lied and manipulated the uh, figures uh, in the electoral campaign and and previously. So that what is so that the 2010 election, I think that was a crucial for for. Uh, in this regime change and, and, and without this landslide, well, there may have been also something something different, but but uh, the two-third majority and the two then the two-third majority again four years later and again four another years later uh, that that was a, a feedback. So uh, it the Hungarian electorate may have rejected this uh, uh, Orbán's regime reconstruction uh, in 2014, but that actually did not happen, so that, that, that uh, regained the Tucson majority and strengthened the legitimacy even more, and 2018 even more. So that, that uh, is really uh, a very strong and very robust uh, um, robust uh, uh, way of, 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 of uh, uh, restructuring of the political landscape, the political discourse, the political landscape, uh, the political institutions, and, and, and beyond all of this political sphere, uh, social relations and, and economic relations, uh, mm. uh, including a robust elite change initiated and carried out by uh, by uh, under Orbán Orbán's leadership during these ten years. Yeah, it, it, one thing that I fa have found puzzling, looking not only at Orbán but other similar um, leaders, is that given given the he had so much power that. That developed from 2010 onwards, and that he has done so much to to reshape the cultural discourse, the institutions, and so on. Underlying that appears to be a lack of ultimate strategy. And 
you introduce two concepts in, in, in the book that I think really help to understand this. The first is this, um, the, the other thing, apart from Max Weber, you, 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 you uh, look at is Carl Schmitt, the, the very controversial German uh, political thinker, and this idea of the primacy of politics and that the main role of uh, of of politics is to, is to uh, to have the capacity to act to, to the freedom of room for for the leader to 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 shape uh institutions and shape uh, policy which by the way reminded me quite a lot of a french politician of hungarian descent nicolas sarkozy that that was absolutely his his way of thinking and the other is this idea you introduce of of bricolage so a, a lack of strategy, but finding things that work. And you say, you say, uh, quote, leadership in the Orban regime is much more dependent on the next step than the sum of the steps ahead. C- can you elaborate on this idea and, and why it is you think there is this lack of strategy to, uh, uh, to the Orban regime? Yes, so there, there is some kind of paradox or, or, or a contradiction here that it is often uh, told that uh, well, the Orban regime is, is has a, some robust right wing uh, nationalist or, or conservative ideology and and uh, we shape everything into a certain very specific direction according to the master plan. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 the opposite, so that there is no no master plan, ad hoc decisions, completely unpredictable, uh, incoherent incoherent uh, policy in every policy era, and, and by and large as well, and and uh, so the lack of strategy and there's this pragma- there's a pragmatism that, uh, but maybe. Uh, Summarized in the slogan that the rule of the moment, the rule of the moment, that that's the, uh, the basic principle of of, of Orbán's uh, leadership. So this uh, this contradiction that that uh, disturbed us very much during the time that we were working on this book, and and uh, it, it was not not easy to to solve how. Uh, but what is the real relation between these? Because both both seems uh, correct, and and I think both uh, are correct uh, to some extent. But 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 then how? What is the relation? The relation is that that we uh, emphasize in the book that uh, that there is no no coherent. Uh, Policy in, in public policy level, there is no coherent policy in, in economic policy or in education policy or in social policy. If each within each policy areas there are incoherences, unorthodox measures, heterodox measures, uh, partly uh, etatist measures. Uh, on the other hand, uh, extremely. Uh, neoliberal measures like the, the flat tax, the personal income tax, and, and things like that. So that, um, so sometimes the Orban regime is uh, accused to be uh, an etatist, 
and attend and and and, and uh, uh, like hyper centralization. But on the other hand, but, but right now there is a program that the higher education is, uh, uh, but it's a state uh, state regulated and state owned higher education is is private. Is under privatization or will be partly already privatized. Uh, my university has been privatized, or so the other universities will be also privatized, but not uh, to private owners, but to foundations established by the uh, state. And, and this way, the link between the central uh, education policy and the, and the university will be some way. Uh, but in the uh, curatorium of this foundation, there will be, uh, well, urban loyalists, uh, or, or most of them are regarded urban loyalists. So, okay, so that how to, are they compatible, this, this, the master plan or the, or the pragmatic policy? So we, um, we try to explore in the book so that on a public policy level there are no coherent policy paradigms, but uh, at a larger level of abstraction uh, there are some kind of uh, coherence. Orban has some kind of vision. There are charismatic politicians usually uh, have a vision, and, and this vision is uh, the core of this vision is very important for the core supporters of Orban and Fidesz, so that the, uh, and this vision includes, uh, uh, well, the national emphasis on national sovereignty, the freedom fight against multinational firms, against Brussels, uh, freedom fights against the network of George Soros, uh, fight against uh, the uh, inner allies, the, the opposition politicians who allied with these international interests and international uh, actors, and uh, the Christian and conservative values, uh, the, 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 uh, the regime support the churches, very much the historical churches, uh, and uh, so that and, and, and also a kind of, uh, uh, even the elite change that I mentioned, but uh, sometimes seems to be quite rude when uh, appointees or, or, or uh, officials, leading officials of, of certain institutions within the public sphere are uh, dismissed and, and uh, uh, replaced by Fidesz loyalists, and and uh, this this process began in, well, in the economy and in the state administration, and and uh, after 2018, it it uh, go ahead in the cultural sphere more uh, widely or effectively than uh, before, and so even this this elite change is is uh, can be put into some kind of coherent vision. Uh, it, and the role of the city changes to uh, 
to develop uh, a national conservative right-wing elite in every sphere of the society, but was in reality missing before 2010. So uh, after the democratic transition in 1990, or even after the turn of the century, the, uh, the majority of the elite uh, regarding their values uh, that was liberal or, or left-leaning, uh, and regarding their party preferences, they were either liberals or, or socialists. And uh, that, uh, and, and yeah, the media is also important here, so that the media elite, that was especially characteristic, the mass media and the media elite. And, uh, but after the loss of the election of 2002, Orban uh, was first the prime minister between 1998 and 2002. And after the loss of the election of 2002, during the eight years of opposition, we began to build up a media network, a right-leaning media network that was missing before. Uh, step by step. So by 2010, it was it was important, and and then later, from 2010 onwards, he was able to uh, take the uh, public media under his control as well, and and also in the uh, privately owned media uh, pushed further the the widening of his influence. So that, uh, so there is a, a kind of vision uh, about a, a sovereign Hungary in, in within mm. the European Union, but within the European Union, which is not a federalist European Union, but a union of independent nation states. And, uh, and Hungary is first, so that is, it is this, uh, the we found that it is not nationalism or conservatism, but is some kind of uh, uh, overarching ideological trait of the regime, but a, a certain kind of realism, which, which sounds like that uh, it is the interest of the hung it, it is the interest of the country or interest of the Hungarian nation. Many policy steps the opening to the East, the special relation with Russia, the special relation with China, all of these uh, policy decisions and, and the policy are uh, ju uh, justified that uh, it is in the, in the national interest and, 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 in, and in national interests uh, enjoy a priority against uh, Principles and values. Uh, one of the big, sorry, one of the big advantages he has had, um, and you could argue that he's he's helped uh, create this, has been the the, the division of the opposition. Um, from the end of twenty twenty, the opposition are now united in a joint uh, campaign for the. 2022 election 
do you think there is a chance that uh, this could be the end of the Orban regime next year? Um, that that's well, probably that is the most important development in in Hungarian domestic politics of the last couple of years. That's what you raise. So that uh, that technically the stability of of uh, the Orban regime in in uh, the sense of parliamentary majority based on the division of the opposition. So that the Fidesz was in the center, and, and there were many splinter groups on the left, and, and one uh, political party, the Jobbik, on the right, and and uh, uh, in until 2018, this this uh, kind of division worked and then provided a stability for the large center party, uh, and. And that it, it's a sense of that, that's an electoral mathematics. So that uh, uh, even in uh, 2014 or 2018, a united opposition may have uh, uh, reached a completely different result, a much stronger parliamentary representation, and and uh, uh, that would have uh, killed the. Uh, Two-thirds, the supermajority of the Fidesz, and and so that I think that the next election, two thousand twenty-two, that that may produce a different result, even if Fidesz uh, win the election, uh, it is less less likely that uh, Fidesz would reach a supermajority, and and. Uh, that would produce a very different domestic politi- politics. Uh, the, this overwhelming, robust uh, advantage within the parliament uh, may it, uh, be over, mm. and uh, and that that will change things very much. And well, if and 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 then it's not. I would not exclude that that the opposition may win so that uh, uh, according to the public opinion uh, service that's that's uh, possible well uh, to finish I like to ask every guest to recommend a book um, Andras what have you chosen and why uh, well I uh, chose the book written by David a bell. It is titled "Man on Horseback." The subtitle is "The Power of Charisma in the Age of Revolution," and it was published uh, in the autumn of 2020. And it's a little bit. It's a little bit connected to uh, the, the the major concept of our book, charisma. So it is a historical account of the emergence of charismatic political leaders, charismatic leaders who appear during the revolutions and freedom fights in the late 18th and early 19th century, like uh, Pascal Paoli, a leader of Corsican independence struggle, 
And then George Washington, the general of the American War of Independence, Napoleon Bonaparte, or Simon Bolivar, the liberator of Haiti. And, and so that um, it, it is, um, the, but, but, why it is interesting for me? For, for me, it was interesting, but it, there's some kind of irony in this, in this uh, uh, book that it is often claimed that charismatic political leaders may be dangerous to democracy. There is some kind of tension or contradiction, leadership and democracy. But the irony is that personal political leaders, charismatic leaders, ha uh, have the same origin than modern democracy. That is this late 18th, early 19th century, the age of enlightenment, the and age of revolutions and independent force, liberalism, democracy. Uh, on one hand, and political leadership, charismatic leadership, on the other hand, they were twin products of this age. And, and this uh, is uh, due to the fact that, that uh, uh, traditional authority uh, Monarchs, aristocracy, church, the church, that their authority had been undermined and uh, that changed the relationship between ordinary people and their political leaders and this leadership. So that enlightenment brought not just uh, the emergence of rationalism, but also, uh, uh, was also uh, emotions and, and uh, enthusiasm, enthusiasm of, of, of uh, citizens or ordinary people to their own leaders. And that's also, so this is also the age of emergence of personal, personalized leadership. So that's, uh, that's a book of a history book. I, I like it very much. Thank you. That's an interesting choice. Um, so today I have been talking to Andres Kurosheni about his new book, The Orban Regime, Plebiscitary Leader Democracy in the Making, published in 2020 by Routledge. Andres, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Uh, thank you for the invitation.